1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: Skylines is brought to you by 100 Resilient Cities. Pioneered by the Rockefeller Foundation, 100 Resilient Cities is dedicated to helping cities around the world become more resilient to the physical, social and economic challenges of the growing part of the 21st century. You can find out more at its website. 100 resilient cities.org.
0: This is a Manhattan bound B Express train. The next stop is
3: Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello and welcome to Skylines, the City Metric Podcast. I'm Stephanie.
2: And I'm John. And this week we are going to talk about trains.
3: Your favourite subject.
2: Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. What I thought I'd start with is have I ever told you about my disastrous interrailing trip that I went <laughs> on
3: in 1999? I don't think you have. John. Do you know how old I was in 1999?
2: You would have been I can't remember which end of the year your birthday's at but you would have been 8 or 9, right? Yeah, it was 9. Yeah,
3: so. So I was 9 years old and you were interrailing.
2: Yeah, not for very long in my defense. It didn't, didn't it didn't take. Why? <laughs> You know the way that in any social group dynamic, you really need someone who's going to be kind of... Not the leader, exactly, but someone who's going to be like, come on, guys, we can do this. Yeah. And, and what you can't have is two people who are both like, oh, God, we're doomed. This is terrible. We're doomed. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what we had. So, so yeah, we started off by... Uh, we got a lift to Dover and then a ferry and then a very slow train across northern France to Paris on one of the hottest days of that, or possibly any year. Got off the metro at the wrong end of the Champs-Élysées for the Tourist Information Centre, where we thought, they'll, they'll tell us where we're going to stay. That'll be fine. So we, we, we spent an hour trudging up the whole length of the Champs-Élysées with, you know, basically wardrobes on our back. Like for some reason, like, this was just before I was going to go off and do an English degree, so for some reason, I thought I would need, like, eight novels. I had a copy of Bleak House <laughs> in my back. <laughs> As if that was as if there was any point where it was going to seem like a good idea to anyway, so we basically arrived with heat exhaustion got got a room in a hostel in like the two hundred and fifty seven decimals, you know miles and miles from anywhere, were too tired to do anything else, got some chips from the kebabs place next door, ate them in the downstairs lounge of this hostel, then noticed the sign on the wall reading, "Do not buy chips from the kebab shop next door." It has been condemned by the food hygiene department <laughs> at which point my traveling companion contracted psychosomatic diarrhea and i didn't see him for two hours um and it just it continued like this there was a week of this we like yeah it, it was just disaster from start to finish like we stayed in a place in barcelona that was not in fact in barcelona it was about 20 miles outside barcelona on a campsite. Um, and and to get to the city, you had to wait for these coaches. And we were not quite far enough out to get on the coaches because they were already with the t- So, like, again, we just stood by the side of this basically motorway, gradually wilting of heat exhaustion. There was a point where th- this, this elderly Catalan man was shuffling towards the window of the bar we were drinking in. Um, and because it was quite a low window and a lot of people had been jumping in and out my friend thought he was trying to do the same and basically tried to lift him bodily out of this window, <laughs> at which point it became clear, at which point we spotted the walking frame and it became clear that there hadn't been what he'd been trying to do at all. He just wanted to sit where there was a breeze. So for the next half hour, I just sat there going, you tried to throw an old man out of a window. <laughs> and then anyway, after like a week of this, and um, waking up in Nice with diarrhea again. Um, I just said, I'm, I'm going home. I want to go home. It's, this is, I know it's a waste of money, I know I'll regret it, but I'm probably not going to regret it for a while. <laughs> um, every time I close my eyes, I can see Liverpool Street Station, and I just want to be there right now. Did you regret it? It took about six or seven years. <laughs> Genuinely, it was that bad. Uh, okay, so anyway, that was... Just, How were the trains? They're all right. I mean, like the, 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 the most fun part of the trip was the overnight train from Paris to Barcelona um because like there were all these belgian boy scouts on the train for some reason like yeah no idea that's a good look but like yeah we we, we had the we were sharing a cabin with these two other with these two english girls who like randomly were, were about to go to the same university as my friend alex who i was traveling with um so that was nice i'm having a good chat with these girls and this this belgian guy in like full boy scout outfit sticks his head around the door and says you english yeah do you watch father ted yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And that was it we never saw him again. <laughs> um but yeah also like there's a there's a change in in the gauge of the railway line in the Pyrenees. Um so they turf they turf you out somewhere in like you know, somewhere not far from Andorra and make you get on a different train. At which point all the Belgian Boy Scouts disappeared into Andorra. I don't know why they're all going to Andorra, maybe it was breeding purposes or something like that. <laughs> um, what do you think
3: Boy Scouts are, John?
2: <laughs> it was a very strange trip and I had heat exhaustion and dehydration for most of it. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not even sure any of these things actually happened.
3: Are we finding out the roots of City Metric and that you had Really, really horrible holiday, but the only bit that was kind of nice was the trains. Maybe. So like this the is. The <laughs> my happy place.
2: Okay, well, anyway, the reason I'm telling you this faintly embarrassing story about something that happened to me 18 years ago is because a Bavarian MEP, whose name I have entirely forgotten, but that's fine. I'll, I'll
3: do Manfred that. Weber, I think it was
2: just off the just off the top of my head. Excellent, excellent use of the notes there. Uh, yeah, this Bavarian MEP has suggested that one way of increasing the sentiment of European unity would be to give every every who turns eighteen in the European Union a free interrailing pass. So they could go traveling around, you talk to other Europeans who were doing the same thing, develop a sort of common citizenship. And a, then a,
3: a common case of syphilis, I think, then, is slightly more likely. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> As to, you know, the, the, yeah, I mean, that would be good, though. I mean, like, you know, Europe, Ep- Europe needs to share these things. <laughs> ever closer union.
3: Ever, ever closer union. Yeah. Just very, lots of, oh, God, loads of 18-year-olds drinking together and going across the whole continent and is this it that they want to create blood ties amongst all of the people of the eu i've taken this to a weird place very quickly i mean it started in a weird place (laughs) it wasn't as if
2: we were in a weird place before but no i i mean there is a theory that one of the things that one of the reasons that the younger generation is more pro-european including including in britain where i actually like remain one overwhelmingly in, in in the under 40s um one of the reasons for that is because of the rise of things like cheap flights so it becomes possible i mean not so much in the last decade because we've been living with results for crash for god knows how long but you know it, there was a golden age around 2005 2006 where it was entirely plausible to disappear to a different european city for a weekend every month even on not that amazing a wage, just because flights were so cheap and i think stuff like that and the kind of human context they create and you also frequently think it's like the erasmus scheme where people can study abroad that does kind of create those kind of a sense of, of European identity, and just a sense that we're not we're not that different.
3: Yeah, I would say maybe half of my friends, so I'm 26, um, and I, I think maybe half of the people who are sort of my good friends are from the EU, I would say. I'd say less than half are English at this point. And really? I think it is our, well, also from having done a master's degree, which has a yeah, high of intake of, of foreign students because I did my, my master's in London. Um, but it, it, I think there is that idea that Especially if you live in a big city, you have friends from all over. Um, it is, it's not the case in the town where I'm from, but in London, it definitely is.
2: No, I mean this is this is one of the weird things. Uh, on the day after the referendum, is I kept suddenly remembering friends of mine who, like, it suddenly wasn't clear if they were allowed to stay in this country, and, and then, and I don't think of them as foreign. They're just my friends, you know.
3: Yeah, I've been doing a lot of helping people revise for their citizenship exams. <laughs>
2: I've been struck by that as well, because a friend of mine, um, she's half Dutch, half Indian, grew up in Brussels, Uh, but she's been in Britain since she came to do her degree in, like, 96 or something, and, you know, her first impulse was, right, well, I've got to get my citizenship now. Which, you know, in some ways, that's reassuring. In other ways, you're kind of thinking, God, I'd be running for the hills at this point. I'd just be thinking, like,
3: well, screw you guys. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm,
2: I kind of think that now, and I don't have any other passports.
3: I mean, <laughs> you're going to go live in, I don't even know, Silly th- Isles yeah, and well, independent Essex. But, but, OK, so based on our anecdotal evidence of two people, we think this scheme could be successful from a cultural angle.
2: I, th- I, think, it, I think it'd be very popular. But you know who won't be included in this scheme?
3: Is it the British? It
2: is, yeah, it would be the British because, like, if it does ever happen, we're gone. We we don't get to do this. So basically, once again, taking back control means taking away our rights. So, thanks, UKIP.
3: <laughs> but is it is it actually going to work in practice anyway? Because presumably it's very very costly. I think I remember reading it's one point five billion, and of course the EU invests a lot of money in rail infrastructure anyway. But also, a lot of the countries signing up for it don't have. Rail route?
2: There are a few European countries that don't have any railways. I know Malta doesn't, um, but, you know, it's a, it's a tiny island. so I, I think maybe Cyprus is the other one. There is, there is definitely a sort of east-west imbalance in the European rail network. Like, there were some fantastic maps. Um, is it isochronic maps is the word I'm looking for? The t- travel time maps. Hmm. Uh, Doing the rounds uh, a couple of years ago showing how quickly you could get around Europe by train. So if you start in Paris or uh, Cologne or even, like, London, the Eurostar, you can, get a, you can get a pretty long way in the space of six or seven hours. Uh, whereas when you sort of get across what used to be the Iron Curtain, it's suddenly you, you can't get anywhere, like, or, or down into the Balkans. Um, and, you know, a distance of 100 miles can take you, like, a whole day by train. Uh, whereas, you know, whereas in Western... You, you, you can go from, like, London to Berlin in something like... I think it's 12 hours or something. It's, yeah, it's, see, it's I've, long, I've it's done London to
3: Berlin, and how did I do it? So I did it by... Um, Brussels, Cologne, Brussels, and then Cologne, and then, yeah. So yeah. that and, and it is relatively quick. quick. Um, it is relatively quick. It was very clean. I only had one argument with the terrifying German man, so really everything went OK. Whereas what was the argument? He was in my seat.
2: So... Has he got an anecdote about the time he had an argument with the terrifying English woman?
3: I think he has an anecdote about a time when a woman spoke very, very bad German to him and his girlfriend, asking for her seat. Um, it's uh, not as exciting as it sounds. I do
2: have a. I have a better. I have a better. No, let's let's here. hear. You. <laughs> when we we uh, with Sarah and I did a, a sort of a sort of mini interrail trip, we did the grand tour. Basically, we did. Venice, Florence, Rome, and Naples in two weeks in like two
3: thousand nine. You've got the haircut for the Grand Tour.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was great, just pottering around Italy by train. But w- one of the the oddest thing about that, as, as a, a train passenger, was a nun checked our tickets, <laughs> and she had no legal right to do this. She just kind of came. She has up God's with, right, John. She just came up and said, "I want that seat."
3: were you in Italy? And you didn't get up.
2: And he said, "Well, these are our seats. We've booked them."
3: But she's a nun.
2: Yeah, but I'm not a Catholic. I'm. I'm. An I'm so, but
3: I'm so scared of nuns. I don't believe I mean, in God. Was, I would
2: get up for a nun. She was. <laughs> yeah, she was trying to intimidate us with her <laughs> habit. But nuns. Are t- <laughs> she, we, she made us show her the tickets, and she went, "Okay, you can sit here."
3: <laughs> I'm so I scared know, of nuns. Thank you. I would have been in the luggage rack in like twenty seconds. It's like, <laughs>
2: You we pay good money for those seats. Like, you know. And I'm sure there were many other people on that train who have a healthy fear of nuns who would have moved. Who
3: forward. will get yeah. No, I'm doing um I've got to go to Zurich in um just after I hand in my doctorate in, in April and I've convinced my um very suggestible partner that we should do the train not very suggestible he just isn't as bossy as I am down from <laughs> <laughs> from Zurich into Italy because it's a beautiful route cool. but yeah. god if a nun asked me for a seat I, I god, I'm so scared of them what do they do what are they I don't do they have they scales have a to well, they do, well no they don't well, no, no you I need to know they don't That's us <laughs>
2: Thank, thank you, Martin
3: Luther. <laughs> I'm not Martin Luther. You're Martin Luther. <laughs> Have I ever told you about my bus journey in Lithuania story while we're doing stories? Okay, tell me about the Lithuanian bus journey. Well, nothing. I mean, no one got dysentery or whatever it is you got, and nobody had to try and hitchhike outside Barcelona. But um, I just I don't know if you've ever visited Lithuania or Estonia. Um, But the first thing, I mean, it feels very ex-Soviet, as you would expect it to. But also Lithuanian as a language is not similar to the European languages you learn in school in Britain. So I kind of find when I go out into Europe, because I have OK French and OK German and I did Latin at school... Most places in Europe I can kind of figure out what's going on.
2: You you, you can at least read the signs, basically.
3: Yes, and often they have it in German or in French alongside the... if not in English, alongside the the local language. Lithuania does not do that, and it is a language which is not similar enough to any of those languages. It's closest to Latin of those three. So I arrived at this little airport in Vilnius and had to get a minibus to Druskininkai, which is... I think the best way to describe it is a kind of Russian center Parks. It's a spa town, wholly full of Russian families on segways, was my experience of it. Um, And what showed up was a tiny little shuttle bus, a Dika, you know, from the Soviet era, without the front, a little wooden box nailed on where you put your fare. And we had a four-hour bus journey to Druskaninkai. I was on my own. I didn't know anyone else on the bus. I don't speak any Lithuanian. And it just occurred to me, if this bus is going to the wrong place, I not only have no idea that that is happening, but I have no recourse. I cannot understand what is going on at all. So it was the most terrifying journey of my life. And I've been on scarier. I've been on you know, bus routes in the US that have felt pretty dodgy and a bit scary. But I think that moment of being stripped of all of your language and going, I'm entirely beholden to the guy who was driving this bus, who was listening to Lithuanian covers of Elton John songs, this man is my keeper now.
2: Did, did you survive? Yes. <laughs> yeah. well, don't keep us in suspense. I mean, no, um, I,
3: no, that's it. I arrived at yeah. Druskin and Cairo. It was fine. It was, there was a fountain that lit up and played the 1812 Overture every night. It's quite enjoyable. Cool. Got very, very drunk on my birthday. Had to lie in a lake to deal with my hangover. It was good.
2: Well, talking of being completely beholden to one strange man... <laughs> Let's talk about Elon Musk.
4: Hello, I'm Alex Hearn. I am a features writer for the Guardian Technology section.
2: Hello. So, we are going to talk about the Hyperloop. <laughs> I hate the Hyperloop so much. Why do you hate? It's amazing. It's going to be really fast, and it's
4: definitely real. Let's 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 start with the <laughs> basics. Like you know, what what is a Hyperloop? What is a Hyperloop? A Hyperloop is a fever dream uh, that Elon Musk had about three years ago. Elon Musk being the billionaire playboy and uh, entrepreneur, co-founder of PayPal, uh, CEO of Tesla Motors, co-founder of SpaceX, and Designer of the Hyperloop. Sounds like a pretty cool kind he's, of guy. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, I mean, he's, um, he's one, of, one of the gods of Silicon Valley. I think he's also he's got a third company, Solar City, although that's now technically owned by Tesla Motors. He's one of those people who has uh, made a name for himself in Silicon Valley by making bets on things that people previously said weren't possible which is always the way to win the hearts and minds of Silicon Valley. So he's bet on private space flight, he's bet on fully electric cars, he's bet on solar power, and he's bet on the Hyperloop. He hasn't really bet on the Hyperloop, this is the first thing. Like, what the Hyperloop is, is at its origination, it was an 18-page, I think, open-source, he called it an open-source concept. Uh, that for, means he's getting other people to do it. It means work, he's getting right. other people to do it, yeah. Uh, an 18-page open-source uh, back of the napkin scribble for a revolutionary new transportation system, which he described as uh, a cross between a concord and an air hockey puck. I think and the idea is that a uh, low pressure tube system is built between two cities, and vehicles are then fired down it uh, using a rail gun. They collect what's left of the air in front of them, push it to. The their base so they float on a a bed of compressed air and they travel between San Francisco and LA in, I think it was 72 minutes maybe Um, that's like
2: 700 miles or something it's 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 a
4: long way and it's it's quick and it's just a a terrible idea it sounds like a great idea it sounds like this is the future why do you hate the future it's I mean it's kind of the best example of Silicon Valley smugness Um,
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews
4: after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. That, that's come out in quite some time. The When Elon Musk did it, uh, when he first proposed it, he explicitly pitched it against the California high-speed rail project, which has been going for well over a decade is priced into the billions and is a, a proposal to build a high-speed train between San Francisco and L.A. Uh, you know, John, and I know that high-speed trains are awesome. They're really cool. They're really cool. Like, no judgment on whether any individual high-speed line is useful and necessary, but high-speed trains are awesome. Um, so it's the Hyperloop when you abstract it from whether or not it is good value for money or an effective way of solving any particular problem. Um, but the thing you can say about the California High-Speed Rail proposal is the reason why it's so insanely complex and so extraordinarily expensive is that every single niggling little issue of it has been sorted out teased from uh, initial proposal to the quite detailed state it's in now Uh, every single proposed penny has been fought by the state fought for by the state and fought against by uh, budget conscious legislators it is a real plan and Elon Musk came along with this open source proposal for the Hyperloop and said, it's going to be so cheap. It's going to be the cheapest. You, you, you bet you. Like, there is never going to be a cheaper transportation system than this. And it's going to be the fastest. There will never be a faster transportation system than this. Elon Musk, in this example, played by Donald Trump. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all Americans Donald Trump now. The, that's the thing that happened, I heard. He uh, passed the law a couple of days ago. Um, and the problem is that it's a back of the napkin sketch it's fine back of the napkin sketches are cool but because it's a back of the napkin sketch from elon musk it was instantly held up as on par with or better than the high-speed rail proposal it was you know elon musk's little uh margin doodles which suggested how much he thought it would come in at which he suggested it would be i think a third of the cost of the high-speed rail proposal um they, they you know it's not a Fully costed budget. It's not even a partially costed budget. It's not a budget. It's it's him adding up things like, well, they already own the center of a highway, so that's basically free land, right? Like that doesn't count in the budget. And how much is, how, how, yeah, no, I mean that land is never a problem, right. In that this was sense. that was a yeah. fairly explicit like land is famously really one. easy to yeah. deal with. And then it's sort of and we'll send it from uh, not you know comparing it to the high speed rail proposal, which was from the main station in San Francisco to the main station in LA to the extent that LA has a main station. Um, and this was sort of what if we instead did Hyperloop from the extreme outskirts of both those cities. But don't worry, because self driving cars will pick you up from the outskirts stations and drive you into the centre of the city. And again, it's like that's not really part of the proposal. The problem with it, though, the problem with, with hating it with the passion I do, is that this can all sound really negative,
3: nitpicky. N- negative,
4: sure, but nitpicky. You're a hater. I'm a hater. I'm a hater, but the problem is it sounds like. I am hating Elon Musk's grand vision for the future with a bunch of small little issues. And it's like, no, you've got to see the bigger picture. And the problem is, the bigger picture is that public transportation is an absolute crapload of small little issues that make things hard. There is, you know, generally speaking, the reason why it's expensive, it's partially because things like the sheer mechanics of building hundreds of miles of elevated track on tubes are difficult. But it's also just as much because, yeah, every every kilometre of Highway Meridian, which is where he wanted to build the Hyperloop, will have its own stakeholders, will have its own things along the side of the highway, even running through central California, which is not the fullest place in the world. There's, there's still a fair amount of people who will have opinions about massive building projects running down the middle of the highway. Also, highway needs to be used while stuff is being built. So all of these little things, which just sound like me being a negative Nancy, the problem is they add up to the Hyperloop is not actually prima facie competitive with traditional high-speed rail. Can we step back a bit? And mm-hmm. This is
2: a silly question I really should have done earlier in the segment, but does it work? I mean, does the physics work? Never mind all the sort of actual practicalities mm-hmm. of getting it built. Like, is this actually something that could be a real... Because, like, I mean, the way you describe it is like, oh, it's an 18-page document, and he's let a bunch of other disconnected research groups sort of fill in the gaps mm. does make me wonder whether this is actually a real thing
4: so the positive way of putting it is there is no technology in the hyperloop proposal which uh doesn't already exist i mean what that actually means is there's no technology in the stuff that looks like cool, high-tech technology, which doesn't exist. There is some technology which doesn't exist, like the technology to build concrete pylons on a highway meridian for a cost significantly lower than the cost of any elevated highway ever. That doesn't exist. Nor does the technology to build steel pipes with uh, thermal expansion slip joints long enough to deal with the expansion between an LA summer and an LA winter, but nonetheless uh, small enough to not wreck a vehicle travelling at 700 miles an hour, nor let air eke out. Those don't exist. But what does exist is essentially railgun technology to use magnets to accelerate something uh, and the technology to take a low-pressure environment and uh, suck the air in and then use it as a bed of air at the bottom. Those, Those exist. It's sort of a sleight-of-hand game. You look at the really impressive, futuristic-seeming technology... And you go, well, surely that can't be real. And Elon Musk goes, no, it, it is. We, we probably can do this. And that kind of gets you away from looking at at, the concrete, at the the metal, at the really basic materials technologies, which are where Musk's plan actually fell down. So final question
2: on this. What's what's in it for him? I mean, if this is just a pipe dream, pipe dream, see what he did there, <laughs>
4: um, then what, why has he done it? I mean, what's... So, in a way, Elon Musk hasn't done it. And one of, the, one of the more annoying things with the way that Hyperloop exists in the world now, in 2016, three years after his initial proposal, is that his involvement with it has been minimal since he released this proposal. Uh, but his name is still all over it. And that means that the companies who are involved with it, there are, there are two. There is the one with the completely unbelievable claims and the one with the slightly unbelievable claims, the one with the completely unbelievable claims um, is, I think, called HTT and uh, ads on top of Elon Musk's original proposal. Uh, the idea that not only will these pylons be cheap, they will also contain vertical gardens. The entire thing will be carbon neutral. Rides will be free, possibly ad supported by video adverts on the inside. The network won't just be San Francisco to L.A. It will be gridded over the whole of uh, the U.S., um, the more sensible one which i think recently rebranded that's just future armor right it? yeah it's future armor but you know you're sitting in a pod the more realistic one for hyperloop values of realistic is called hyperloop 1 i think it recently rebranded to hyperloop 1 the the wild stories with that only involve uh, alleged threats of murder between the co-founders and funders uh, someone left a noose on someone else's desk after an argument but by and large, it seems to be more of a real company, to the extent that they are exploring the possibility of actually building one of these things, admittedly, in uh, the UAE, where these problems of sort of land aren't, aren't as much of an issue. they They're not being that much stuff. In most of the UAE. They're not known for their nimbyism over there. No, and people people,
2: people don't tend to get rights to the view or something. Right, exactly. And then, also,
4: they're not the sort of place that really cares about paying way, way above the odds for uh, an underperforming transit system, which will nonetheless look super cool and futuristic and be the first in the world of its kind. So, I I have no doubt that actually, at some point, it will be built there. What I do doubt is that it will ever be competitive on a uh, cost per mile basis for anything that just already exists in the world now.
2: Well, at some point we'll get you back to um, <laughs> eat humble pie on this Right, one. I mean, What's this is the thing, future I, I, arrives?
4: I've reached the stage of carefully claiming, carefully couching what I do and don't think is possible because originally it was one of those, like, this is never going to be built things. And then I realized there are a lot of people with more money than sense, and things get built all the time that shouldn't be built. So now, you know, I'm rephrasing it, It will never be competitive on a uh, dollar-per-mile basis with conventional transportation technologies. That I'm more confident with. Plus, humble pie sounds tasty, so i win either way.
3: Okay, going back to the bus thing, I want to tell you about an actual cool bus.
2: Okay, what's the cool bus?
3: The cool bus is any trolley bus. This is I think my favourite mode of transport ever is an electrified bus, which is one of my favourite things about going back to Switzerland is I get to take buses that are also trams.
2: Okay. Tell me of this wonder of a bus that is also a tram.
3: I mean, it's very much what it sounds like. So it's a bus that runs along the road, but it is hooked up to the tram cables and runs ah, off right. yeah, the electrified tram. And apparently you have them in a few places, but I've I've ridden them in Switzerland. But it got me going down a kind of rabbit hole of weird types of transport around the world, which is something I thought you might have examples of as well.
2: Do you know about the Wuppertal uh, suspended railway? I do not. Built in the very early years of the 20th century, it's basically a monorail that hangs from this thing eight metres off the ground. So it's like an elevated railway, but the ca- the cars sort of hang down, and it goes all the way <laughs> along the the river valley. I believe it's the River Wuppa. Okay. After which the town, which is part of the... When
3: sort of you say Whopper, do you actually mean... Part, I
2: don't know. T- I don't speak German.
3: You, but you, you definitely don't mean, say, Alton Towers, which is what that sounds like to me. No,
2: no, this is... It's in, like, the Rhine-Ruhr, you know, that big sort of... Well, the cities merge into each other. It's near, you know, Dortmund and places like that. OK,
3: OK. Um,
2: but, yeah, no, it's, 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 quite, it's quite famous among transport nerd circles because it's the only one of these in the world... Because generally monorails, they put the rail at the bottom, Mm -hmm. but this one, it's at the top.
3: Are people just kind of waiting for it to crash down then?
2: I mean, it's lasted like 115 years or something, so it's doing all right. I mean, I suppose you could turn that around and say it's due.
3: (laughs) So I got quite into this. Do you know about these? These bicycle lifts?
2: Tell me if the bicycle lifts.
3: So there's a bicycle lift in, I'm going to mispronounce this now, in Trondheim in Norway and the idea is it's basically a single what's the word for it in english a relay a um tiny canyon <laughs> what would you call a it a groove thank you <laughs> so i remember the word in german but not in english and you put um you put one foot on it and the other foot on your bicycle and you can't see but i'm demonstrating this in the studio for john hands on the handlebars, and it just pushes your one foot and therefore the rest of you on your bike up this steep hill. If you want to visualise that or you're having trouble visualising that, go on YouTube and type in bicycle lift Norway and there are loads of videos of people precariously going up. I mean, I would be off it in two seconds. I would fall straight down. But Doesn't that feel like cheating? Well, only if you think bicycling is a thing you can cheat at.
2: I mean, I kind of feel like... You know I do these ridiculously long walks?
3: No. You, you must
2: do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. where well, you, you walk
3: all oh, the way across London and do you... probably you.
2: muted the tweets many times. No, no,
3: I do, I do, I do. It's your kind of weird, uh, such will self thing that you do. Yeah, yeah. But, like,
2: I always feel that, like, you can't just then, like, think, oh, this is a boring bit, I'll get the bus for this. You kind of have to do it all under your own steam.
3: I like, don't know, that do sounds you, very 19th century. I really like buses.
2: I mean, it's just, <laughs> just not very interesting. But also, like, if you're going to walk or cycle, it's about, you know, you're doing it with your own power, right?
3: Like, okay, yeah. Like, you can yeah. wheel,
2: wheel the bike up the hill, it's what I'm saying. Don't be lazy, Tron Time.
3: I want to go on, I want to go on it. I want, I actually want one that just takes me to work. And actually, I want, so in, again, something I'm going to mispronounce, uh, Medellin, Medellin, Medellin? Uh,
2: Medellin, I believe.
3: Medellin, in Colombia. Yeah,
2: the second city of Colombia. I, I think I know where this one's going, if Medellin's famous for this year go on is it is it cable cars no not cable cars. okay
3: you tell me about the cable cars and then i'll tell you about this
2: oh well, no this is quite a big thing in lots of uh, south american cities they have um cable cars kind of a key part of the, of the metro network like they act as metro stations because like you know if you you think if you built a city up a mountain this is often the easiest way of getting people around it like it's quite low capacity it's not like each of these things can carry like thousands of people but nonetheless to get from like up the hill to down the hill or whatever, it's the quickest way of doing it, so yeah.
3: Okay, so it's kind of, maybe kind of like in Barcelona, although that's very touristy, but that, well, Wait, if you're so heading to the top of the hill, that.
2: Yes, yes, they do, don't they? They also have a funicular, I believe. They the do have a
3: funicular, thing. I love funiculars, and I love the word funiculars. It's so. a great word. <laughs> yeah. No, this is an outdoor escalator that takes you up a hillside.
2: Oh, yes, no, they have, I've seen those too, they have those in Barcelona, in fact.
3: So is that cheating?
2: I mean, yeah, this, this is really getting into stuff about how weird I am, but I often find if I'm doing one of those walks, and I have an app which tells me how many miles I've done, if I like, go into a shopping centre to get a coffee or use a bathroom or whatever, I prefer not to use the escalator, because that's, that's not really me doing that. I use the stairs.
3: <laughs> okay, that's, that I think is real commitment. That I, is admirable. And, I have a problem? Yeah, you have a problem. Um,
2: Did you see the other big transport story of the week? What was that? The first freight train from China arrived in London this week.
3: No, I did not did see that.
2: No, it took 18 days and was, you know. There's lots of news stories about it. It happened with great big fanfare, which is possibly over the top, considering that uh, London is actually the 15th European city to get a freight train from China to arrive at it. <laughs> but yeah, it came all the way from China. It went across like Kazakhstan and through bits of Russia, I think, and then through Eastern Europe, through the Channel Tunnel, and then stopped him Barking in East London. <laughs> and there's a, great, there's a great quote from uh, the leader of Barking Dagenham Council, uh, Darren Rodwell, who says, This is great news for the borough and London. It's a sign of Barking Dagenham being in the epicentre of the capital's eastward shift. You could say it's the rising east meets the far east.
3: <laughs> I love him. I've, I've interviewed him before, and he's a very, very funny man. And, yeah, he's one of my favourite Labour Council leaders. Oh, right. In a crowded field. <laughs> oh, maybe you should get him on the podcast sometime. We should get him yeah. on the podcast.
2: But like, I This is a whole different podcast, but like, I was technically born in Barking and Dagenham. I find it fascinating because it's like, in socioeconomic terms, it's like a sort of northern de-industrialised city that's just kind of planted on the eastern edge of London. So it's like all kinds of interesting, if you're a nerd. We, like should,
3: we should do a kind of borderlands mm. thing where we go to these places on the outside of big cities because I do I do find them really interesting. But um, So China, shipping things over... I mean, I don't know if we should talk about the big news item this week that might render all transport superfluous soon.
4: I mean, we can do
2: it quickly, I suppose. We haven't got much time, one thing and another.
3: <laughs> so it's the inauguration.
2: Yeah. I mean, this isn't really anything to do with cities or transport at all. We're now just I mean, I don't know about you, but I keep going into a reverie about how much I'm going to miss Obama and Biden. No,
3: I do as well, and I keep torturing myself by going back and watching... Jesse Jackson's speech from the night of the election, which is just masochism on my part. But it is, interestingly, it is kind of about cities in that...
2: They'll be the first strike target.
3: (laughs) I was going to say in that it will be interesting to see what happens in places like Detroit and some of the places Mm -hmm. that you visited ahead of the November election and see what does happen in those places.
2: Am I right in thinking Ben Carson was the pick for housing and urban development? Is he? Is he? I think so. A subject in which he has no interest, no expertise. They've picked him because he's the black guy.
3: Doesn't he have a painting of himself as Jesus? Is that him? There's somebody who has a painting of themselves as Jesus.
2: I mean, I'm sure in in the upper ranks of the Republican Party, there's probably quite a few people who've got
3: that. (laughs) Do Um, you think Ben Carson would give up his seat for a nun?
2: I don't feel like I have a punchline to that. I mean, I'm just sorry. This is the problem with talking about the imminent apocalypse is it just totally wipes my brain of all information because all I can think of is like I'm just ignoring it.
3: (laughs) And also I feel like so much of the stuff that's going to come through in policy terms in the US that's kind of to do with cities and housing and urban infrastructure and, you know, managing racial integrations and things like that is going to be so crazy that you... You kind of don't want to joke in case you tempt fate to just make it real.
2: I mean but I mean the US has the advantage of the federal system, like cities are gonna keep going, doing what they've always done, and like the budgets may get cut in places, but they've had to deal with that before. I genuinely think that the really scary thing about all this is the possibility that we could get into a nuclear war because someone is mean to Donald Trump on Twitter. That is
3: <laughs> Or he just declares martial law. And federalism stops being a problem. Anyway, we're going somewhere quite dark. We should. Um,
2: should I go back to transport very quickly? Just to sure Go on. Fin-
3: Finishes off on a positive note.
2: Do you know the? Well, there's. I believe it, or at least it tells people it's the smallest city in the world of a metro system. Go on. Lausanne in Switzerland. Is it? Which has uh, a 28 station and two line metro system. Uh, for a population of about 140,000, which is about the same as Basildon or Telford. So <laughs> but,
3: but, OK, I'm going <laughs> to make it. Uh, you can tell that uh, I've got a weird need to defend tiny Swiss cities. But it is a big interchange point, particularly in ski season, right?
2: I'm, I'm not criticising it. I'm in favour of metro systems. I think, okay. it's, I, I think, I think the, <laughs> one of the big problems we have in this country is that we don't have more of them.
3: Are you going to now advocate for the Basildon metro
2: I mean, Basildon's quite low down the list. I do think it's ridiculous that Leeds, Leeds-Bradford, doesn't have anything.
3: Yeah, that is quite... It's
2: the, I, I think it's the biggest conurbation in Europe without a kind of fixed metro system.
3: Write into us and tell us which places that currently don't have a metro system should get a metro system.
2: Yeah, there you go. Audience participation. That's a good note to end on. See you next week. Maybe.